are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Great Northern Bow Company. At Great Northern Bow Company, they design and build every bow with you in mind and with respect for the long and noble hunter-gatherer lineage we are all connected to. They build hunting bows, bows designed to make you the very best bow hunter you can be. How do they do it? By paying attention to what really matters in a bow. Stability, smoothness of draw, reliability, performance, refined design, and by using carefully selected materials. Their bows have an understated beauty and refinement of appearance that will make them hold their appeal for a lifetime, and they still build their bows one at a time by hand. So consider making your next custom bow a great northern bow, and in the meantime, be sure to check out their website at gnbco.com. Hello everyone, Steve Angel here coming to you from uh, my current location, which happens to be I'm on vacation and I'm at the beach, but the show must go on, right? So this episode is the final one recorded while Nick and I were on site at the Compton Traditional Bow Hunters Rendezvous of 2019. And you'll notice that the audio is not typical of what you uh, usually hear on the show, and this was due to the uh, limited areas available to record uh, on location in, and the noise in the background was just simply unavoidable. I've done the best I can to clean that up a little bit and make it as uh, sound as good as uh, possible, but again, it is a little bit different than, than is the norm here on the show. Still, I feel like they turned out pretty good, and the guests we were able to speak with face-to-face are worth the trade-off, in my opinion. Now, in this episode, we had the chance to sit down with Mr. Rashid Khan, also known as Dutch to many in the traditional archery community. And Rashid's story is a great one, not only because of his traditional archery journey, but also because he is a bow hunter at heart, yet he resides in a country where bow hunting is not allowed. Now, as you listen to this, I would like for each of you to think about that for just a bit and put yourself in his shoes for a moment. We're lucky here in the States. We're lucky to have more bow hunting opportunities than most of us will ever be able to take advantage of. Still, we also need to remain vigilant and fight to protect those hunting rights so that we are never left without these opportunities. On a side note, Rashid is planning his first ever bow hunt in 2020, and it will be here in the States, uh, and we do chat about that a little bit in this episode as well. Both Nick and I wish Rashid all the luck in the world on that upcoming hunt, and we look forward to hearing all about it when he returns. So enough of the intro, let's get to our recording with Rashid, and I hope you enjoy listening in. So... Here we are, we're sitting in the lovely eatery next to the clubhouse here at, at the Compton's Rendezvous. Uh, we're on the third day of the event now. We had a little bit of rain. Um, it's still misting rain a little bit, but for o- overall we've had a pretty good shoot. The weather's been fantastic. A few showers on, well, there was a lot of rain on Thursday, but what many people here. A little bit of rain today. Uh, yesterday was gorgeous. Today's been pretty good. But Nick and I today are sitting down with a, a very unique individual who, surprisingly, we've been, I don't know how long we've been friends on Facebook, but I know we're friends on Facebook, and I didn't even realize it until after I talked to you Thursday afternoon at the, the MLA dinner, and I went back to the hotel room and was pulling up Facebook, and I said, yeah, I'm friends with a guy on Facebook, and after hearing some of your, your story, I was like, man, I was really missing the boat here, but um, I'm going to try my best. You'll correct me if I get your name wrong. Rashid 
Rashid. Rashid. I knew I'd missed it. did it again. <laughs> I did it again. I'm stuck I, I, with it. I was swear you were throwing him a softball. Rashid <laughs> Yes. And you are from Great Britain? From I Sydney? am. I'm from England, yeah. I'm from uh, beautiful Staffordshire, Stoke-on-Trent. Um, and uh, I've been living there, I think, about 20 years. But I was born and raised in uh, Wimbledon, London. Right. Um, but like most Londoners, you get fed up. You want to move out. <laughs> So we did, um, and I've been a, a field archer for about 12 years. Um, I've chaired, and uh, my wife, Saima, has been a secretary of a, um, a traditional field archery club for about 10 years. Um, the club itself is uh, Lawton Field Bowman, uh, established in 1952, so it's one of the older clubs in the UK. And um, I mean, that's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. We stepped down, though, so uh, last year so that we could, um, well, I could pursue uh, bow hunting. So that's obviously the the main part I actually wanted to talk about. And you and I have had several conversations over the course of the last couple of days. And some of that you and I rehash, so it may seem a little bit uncomfortable for us. But so this is your second trip to Compton's? It is my second trip. Two years in a row, right? That's right. And and we were talking. You can't. You can hunt in England, but you can't bow hunt in England. That's correct. So you when when did you develop? Has it always been a desire for that you've had that you just kind of it's there, but I I, I can't really do anything about it as far as the bow hunting, or is that is that something fairly new? I think in a nutshell, uh, Steve. For me, it's uh, it, it started. When I was a child, my dad would take us to places like uh, Bushy Park, which is a big park uh, near Hampton Court uh, Palace. Um, and and um, he, would, he would fall asleep because he'd be tired. He'd fall asleep in the car, uh, which would be a Morris Traveller. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the car with the wood on the outside. Um, and we would just be let loose. So we'd be up there. I'd be up there with my brother. Uh, I had a younger brother, and uh, I've got an older sister. And we'd just be in the woods. And um, I would make a bow and arrow. Um, and then, really, after that, you know, you grow up and, and, and school and education and work, and um, nothing much happened for a long time. Uh, and then a friend of ours... Um, which I've, I've known him for 30 years. Um, he, uh, we went to visit him um, down south in, in Hastings. We uh, were taken to a reenactment, Battle of Hastings. It's a big reenactment. And I'm walking around the stalls, and you've got um, Fairbow and, and um, other, many others, um, bowyers, all selling stuff there. And it was incredible. And I, I just turned around and I said to myself, my God, You've waited way too long here. I'm going to go and buy a bow right now. And I did. Um, and it was uh, from Fairbow, who are uh, Dutch, Megan Clark. Oh, I've, I've heard of Fairbow. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's quite ironic because I'm half Dutch myself. Uh, but he set me up with a bow. Um, it was, I think it was a Viper Deluxe, 50-pound longbow, um, or American flatbow, as we call them, over in the U.K., and he, he just gave me six arrows. Uh, 
he didn't do anything about eye dominance or anything. It wasn't Megan himself, I must sure. say. It was it was another guy there on the, on the, the stool. Um, but the thing is, I went away and um, I had information to go onto a, a particular website, check out clubs in my local area when I got back from the holiday. So it's exactly what I did. Um, and I was lucky to um, call a guy, David Bailey, at uh, Lawton Field Bowman. And, and it kind of started there. I met him that next Sunday and I took my bow, took my six arrows and he put me in front of a, a target about 12 yards and he just said, right, shoot. He said, this is how you shoot. This is the technique, you know, elbow not too high, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I just stood there and, and, and shot and shot and shot and I was hooked. Um, and I think about eight months later, um, I was chair. <laughs> so uh, it was a bit of a surprise. I think I was set up a bit, to be honest, but I never looked back. I've always enjoyed a challenge. Um, he said, yeah, could you be secretary? He said, the AGM's coming up soon. And on the morning of the AGM, he looked at me and he looked at Simon, my wife, and said, well, we were just having a thought. Um, why don't you be secretary, Simon? And, and Rashid, you could be chairman. And I'm, this is right just you know, before the AGM and the vote and everything. And then the next thing I know, I'm chairing. But um, running a club is people management. You know, the archery mm -hmm. is, is yeah. the icing on the cake. But to make it work, you know, it, it's people management. So you, you, you look for the people's best side, their skills, what they're interested in most. And you use that. And it makes for a good club. So what, what, did you, what kind of activities did you do at the club? What's, uh, what's field archery? Um, well, okay, you and I know field archery as off-season practice. For the most part, I think. Yeah. I know, I, I know a little bit more about what field archery is, and most of what I, what I partake of in the yep. off-season is more of the 3D, um, mm -hmm. just 3D courses, not so much the field course. And I'm, yeah. If you're talking about the same thing, and I think this is where you're, you're talking yes. about field archery's got the big round butts that you're shooting at, or no? With the no. eyes and the... No. no. No? No, that's target archery. Okay. Oh, okay. In the UK, that's target archery. So they're, uh, they're separate. Okay. They're not considered traditional archers. They're what you would see on the TV when they're um, broadcasting the Olympics you would see target archers. Right, right. Okay. So you know, three set distances, and that's what that, that's all they would shoot. We're traditional. Um, and, I mean, okay, we had members who shot compounds, um, and, and uh, even at one point, uh, a crossbow, gun, bow, gun, gun. <laughs> I'll settle for gun in my personal point of view. Um, but things changed. Right. Um, over the, the sort of 10 years that I was chair, um, because the club is based on a farm, it's a livestock farm, so the farmer didn't like carbons. I have no problem with that. Um, aluminium's allowed for bare bow, um, and uh, crossbows, no. Definitely not. But you were shooting it at 3D style targets? We were shooting at 3Ds, okay. yeah, your regular nice. 3Ds. Um, members would uh, be encouraged to make targets as well. Um, Obviously, we have to fund the club, insurance, sure. ground rent, um, uh, you know, putting on our annual field shoot. We used to have two shoots a year at one point. And, um, yeah, so it, it, it's if, if they want to come up with a target, that's fine. 
you know, we'll, we'll spend a day, a work day and make targets and repair bosses and, and set up something interesting, moving targets, swinging targets, anything that makes it more interesting. You know, we, we change. We were, I mean, we were lucky in the fact that we had a plantation where we could set sort of 22 targets up. Um, so we, you know, recently we've we sort of built platforms that you can, because it's flat where we are. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to sort of shoot up and shoot down. So we build platforms and then we'd have a, a plethora of targets, different sizes, different distances, um, all off the same platform. And yeah, you do what you can to make it interesting, you know, and, and keep them coming back, basically. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously the coaching, but paramount is the safety, as always. Um, and I've enjoyed it. It's been great. But most clubs, they go through a cycle. It's pretty much a 10-year cycle. It could be a little less, whatever, um, like recessions. Um, so my time was, I decided my time was up, time to move on, pass the club on to someone else. Um, I did everything, the finances, um, you know, the equipment. I got another container for storage. Mm-hmm bit of a situation in recent years of clubs actually being broken into, 3Ds being stolen, probably taken abroad and sold. Um, and uh, there's a few clubs, local clubs, that have fallen foul to that sort of activity. And we've, which we've is, had that at our local club here. You have it here as well. So, yeah. It's such a shame because you, I know how much work goes into just getting to a right. point where you mm-hmm. have 3Ds that you feel as though, you, oh gosh, they cost money. Big money and, and and good 3D but, targets are very and quality ones. Yeah, right. no. In fact, that's one of the reasons. Uh, um, I was the president of the Michigan Longbow Association for three years, and we. I mean, everybody's always asked us why. Why don't you have your own targets? And that's one of the things we don't. The insurance, all that stuff, the yeah. storage. That's one more thing to worry about. Yeah. And I got to commend you for being the head of an organization for ten years, man. That that must have felt. Well, yeah, I mean, okay, a long yeah, time. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, well, it's not an organization; it's a club. Um, I've got to say that Lawton has always been a fiercely independent club. Okay. We've, when I was, as, when I was chair, I never stopped anybody from, you know, joining. It wasn't up to me if they wanted to join, um, you know, the National Field Archery Society, which is the biggest in the UK, GNAS, or, you know, there's a few. They were free to do so. Um, these associations are run basically with individual memberships, not club memberships. Um, uh, there was uh, a time where a uh, an association for clubs was started, um, uh, but it came to a bad ending, hmm. which is a shame because it had what I would like to think of as the perfect constitution. No club would be put out. You know, it's, if it was if it came to a vote, it had to be unanimous. And basically, we went back to the early days of what the NFAS was. Mm-hmm before somebody turned it into a limited company. We're not about money. And it was, the, it was called the Association of Field Archery Clubs, AFAC. Um, it wasn't about money. It was about supporting clubs, supporting each other. But, okay. Um, you know, I, I went the distance with this. I went to court with it. Um, I won, but what do you do? You win the moral high ground. And then it just fell apart. Mm-hmm. Everybody just kind of, well, I'll say it, they just run away. There were some people that supported me. Jim Rose was one of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, shortly after that, boy, did I need a break. 
So um, me and my friend that I mentioned earlier in Hastings, we went to um, the first field shoot uh, in Cyprus. And Jim Rose was there and it was run by um, James Spooner. And um, we had a ball. It, it wasn't about points or prizes. Um, it's about friendship and these friendships are still going. Um, unfortunately, Jim passed away two and a half months ago, but um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been a, a beautiful relationship and he's helped me so much. And you attended with him last year? Yes, yeah. Uh, that was 2012 in Cyprus. And last year, um, we attended Compton, my first, and probably his fifth or sixth, I believe, but it was eight years since he'd been. And he never thought he'd go again. But um, he said, how would you like to go to Compton? He just rang me, always on the phone to each other. And um, he said, how would you like to go to Compton? I said, yeah, that's, that's a dream. Um, and uh, he said, right, okay, then um, you sort out the hotel. He said, this is the hotel, you book it. You sort the car hire out. And, um, and I did, and he sorted out the tickets. And, um, and we came last year, and what an eye-opener. And he you know, lived in Ireland. He lived in Ireland, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was in County Longford, just outside Longford itself. Um, and I thought, my God, you know, I've, I've heard a lot about it, um, Compton and, um, and what they stand for and what they do and how they promote um, archery with, you know, the kids as they did today. And um, just to come here and, and meet some amazing people. Um, and, and most of them were strangers. Um, you know, apart from the friends that Jim knew. Mm -hmm. sure. So you, you could literally stop and talk to anybody. And that's literally what I've been doing for the last two days. And famous guys, you know, legends. And, and um, uh, he's not what, you, what you call... What you call blue, I know he's not. What's mentioned as, as, yeah, as blue-collar workers. Um, you know, I'm a working stiff. You know, I'm not high and mighty or anything. You know, money's hard to come by and, and, and pennies count. So there's a lot of us out there. Um, and, um, okay, Jim was so enthused after last year, and he thought, yeah, I, I could do this again. So he rang me, and he said, right, we're going again. And I thought, okay, yeah, no problem. Um Say, but he didn't make it. He had a, a sudden heart attack. Um, but um, I'd be in his workshop, and he'd teach me about um, you know making cine back bows, and uh, which I still do. Um, I'm at the stage where I'm making all those mistakes as I'm learning. But that's how it goes. You know, you're not going to make a decent bow unless you screw up somewhere down the line. Um, and I'm enjoying it. I'm working towards my first hunt, but it's been a long road. Um, a lot of people have, uh, have, have come together and, and helped uh, with equipment and um, advice. You can't ask for more. Well, there's, and there's a lot of things that you've, you've said here. So first of all, I know I've talked to you a good bit about Jim, aside from this, but you know, he was a big mentor, so, mentor for you, and I was, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, very, you, thank you. It doesn't take long to hear you start talking about um, the things that you, the time that you spent with him, to know that he was he was he was a special person. Oh, very. Um, I will ask. Uh, not. I hope I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but you know, I know some of the people that are here today, this weekend, that are pretty big names. But who's the who's the person that you've met so far that that 
just really anybody really stands out as somebody that just really touched something in with regards to the bow hunting that you that you've met this this weekend wow that's a big question <laughs> um no i'm not really on the spot at all um well it was a a pleasure to finally speak to tj okay um but at the same time um barry barry wenzel what a hoot mike mitten mike mitten's great again um i mean these guys are just superb and, and they're regular guys they are and yeah. i you know it's funny you mentioned barry wenzel i grew up uh Barry Wenzel was probably on one of the very first hunting videos, and this was back in the '80s when the you know the hunting videos were just getting started, and they were actually really good and entertaining. It wasn't about you got to buy this, you got to buy that, and, uh, and you know Barry Wenzel did a lot of videos with Paul Bruner, and Paul yes. Bruner was a big uh, a big uh, hero of mine as far as from a hunting yeah. perspective growing up. Yeah. So I know I feel like when I see Barry standing in the in the booth and they're like, who is this? Who is this white haired man? <laughs> it was just last week I was watching him and he had black hair and he had that cap turned around sideways. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, but they are, they are all very, very special individuals. Yeah. And very, very approachable. Very. That's the key thing. Yeah. It's, and I find that more than anything coming to Compton is that, I mean, I, I was just walking to get a burger and there's a guy standing there. And um, I've noticed he's got a couple of black widows. And I just said, they're nice bows, lovely black widows and that. And, and you know, it's like we start, yeah, he says, I, my son's just bought this one. And he hands it to me to have a look at. And, and we're chatting. You know, and um, it turns out he's got a 30-inch, you know, draw, same like me. And, and you think, oh, do you ever wonder, you know, the, the some bows that you can marked up as 28 and you draw them back and they stack... And some marked at 28, and then you draw them back, and they go all the way back to 30. And there's no sign of stacking and things like that. And, and we just got chatting. I never met the guy before in my life. You know, and it's great. It's, it's just such a homely family, brotherly feeling. And it's strange for me because uh, I have an unusual name, I suppose, in, in the great scheme of things. Um, it's, it's not a regular name that you may come across here in the States. You know, how would I be accepted? Would I be accepted? Would anyone bother? Um, can't deny it. But um, the amount of help, um, I'll mention Craig Schoenenberg right at the top. Um, right from the word go last year, he's just been amazing and has helped uh, incredibly. Um, and it's allowed me then to, to progress I'm, I'm, I'm here this year. I don't have any accommodation. So, um, uh, you know, uh, Joe Furlong has, and, 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 and Janice um, have helped me with a tent. Um, they had one pitched already because when I arrived late Wednesday, it was pouring with rain. So who wants to pitch a right. tent when it's pouring with rain? Um, okay, if you're out there hunting, you would do. You wouldn't think twice about it. But then I, I didn't bring any rain waterproofs or anything because last year was so hot. I, I kind of didn't expect uh, anything to be that much different. I didn't expect the rain, let's say, at least to be dry. But yeah, I've been in there for a couple of nights um, and then I'm in the car for a couple of nights. Right. Uh, but the fact is I'm here and it, a, a lot has come together. And it is a vast difference. You couldn't have picked 
two more different years to come weather-wise <laughs> than last year and this year. It is that exactly that, isn't it? it uh, is. Two it's, extremes. And, you know, it's funny. I, I'll throw a little story out. So part of the, the traditional community wants to step in and help and welcome people, those kind of things. It is a special community with that regard. Um, and I think I, I, would, I would love to know if it's which one grooms the other. So is it is it that type of person is drawn to the traditional archery community or is it the traditional archery community that grooms a person into being that way? And the reason I say this, I was in London two years ago and took the tube, as they call it. The underground, London, yeah, the tube. Uh, over, uh, I forget where we started, but we went to King's Crossing. Right? Okay, yeah. And we get on the, I'm on the tube and, and I just strike up a conversation with an individual. And, you know, 30 seconds into this, he just, he starts chuckling. And I ask him, you know, was it something I said? Because, you know, the, 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 the dialects are different, even though you're both speaking English. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, you can just tell that you're someone from the States because you just sat down and struck up a conversation with a complete stranger. That doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. Um, and it made, honestly, it made me feel good because he felt good about it. You know, I think it's like uh, an Englishman in New York. Um, they would probably do the same, but a New Yorker may not have the time of day. Right. No, it's just big cities. It's big cities, and it's it's a rat race um, sort of environment. And uh, yeah, as soon as you step out of a city, it's completely different. But as far as what draws, you know, is I think it's it's something you have to have inside you for a start. You have to want to do it. It's it's it is literally something that's that's eating at you, and you you've got to pursue it. Mm-hmm. But coming to somewhere like Compton, obviously, um, will let that flower, as it were. You you can be given advice and direction. Sure. So. You've got to have it in you in the first place, and and that's that that's um, just enhanced by coming here, and, and you know it sets you on your road, which is what I'm doing. Um, it's it's unusual, I suppose, in the fact that I'm you know I live in a, a town um, in a, in, a, in a country that doesn't allow bow hunting, but for me as an archer, it's the ultimate expression is to go bow hunting, when. Man relied on it for food. He either went hunting or he died. Right. So, you know, it's um, to take an animal. Okay, Jim would be telling me and teaching me about the philosophy, the ethics. I'm pretty old school in my ways anyway. So I'm not looking for any modern enhancements. And, you know, um, I'm aware of, of technology now. Okay, P&Y are having a lot of trouble with... Um, um, what to what what to allow a traditional right. you know glowing knocks and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff and these mechanical broadheads that uh, open up you know on impact and, and all this sort of stuff um, yeah. me I'm, I'm I'm a purist that much I do know I won't use anything you know I won't even use an arrow rest and I shoot off the shelf I shoot off the hand um, and a, a string silencer or suppressor is about as technical as I want to get. But that's it. It's wooden arrows all the way. The first arrow I shot was a wooden arrow. Um, the first set, straight away I made my first set before I bought any more. Um, 
and, and, um, and that was it. So for me, that's where it lies. I don't know if you got something to throw in. So there's so many things. I, as you're talking, there's so many things running through my mind. You know, the first one is I can relate with you in that I grew up in a non-hunting family. My my dad would go out and he would bird hunt. I, I can remember him doing that maybe two or three times my entire childhood. So he wasn't a hunter, but there was that spark. There was something inside me that I was just drawn to it. But I can't imagine being the way I am and just naturally drawn to hunting and not being able to do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That, I I mean, we take it, we take so many things for for granted here. You know, Um, we really do. And I I was in, actually, it's what really struck me with what you said was that you, you thought that the bow hunting was the ultimate expression uh, with bow and arrow. And when I started, I had no desire to hunt didn't want to hunt at all. I just wanted a bow and I wanted to shoot and I wanted to be a target archer. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd grown up in the woods, but no desire to hunt. I, yeah. I, everybody had shot things with all my relatives, shot things with guns and stuff. And I just wasn't into it. Didn't yeah. feel very sporty to me. Um, but when the moment I started, I got a bow and started hanging around a range and with other archers and shooting and reading magazines and newsletters and stuff like that, I knew that's where I wanted to be. That was the ultimate place to be. It yeah. felt right to have the first time I went stump shooting or roving, the first time I had a bow in my hands in the woods, it felt like the most natural thing in the world. And I immediately wanted to hunt. Yeah. It happened that year. But I and I had that luxury and so that must have been hard, like Steve said, that, yeah. that even from a guy who wasn't had didn't have it in him to do it, you're yeah. drawn to it. Yeah, because yeah. I, and I can tell you growing up. I probably wanted to start, and I was doing the same thing. I was going out in the woods and 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 cutting saplings and making bows yeah. and same and making making arrows from from sticks, just yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. And my father was, my father was pretty strict, and he did buy me a bow when I turned sixteen. But up until the point of sixteen years old, hunting was out of the question. You you know, I you he didn't feel. Uh, you were mature enough or at that age to go out. And, I mean, he, like I said, he was, he was just a little bit different. Part of it was because he wasn't really a hunter, right? Yeah. So I can, I can re- relate s- somewhat that way, but that's a big difference. Then I, I don't know your age, but you're, you're older than 16. <laughs> a tad, yeah. I'm 57. Um, and I mean, I've experienced a lot of things in my life and, and, and lucky enough to have done some traveling as well. Um, I've been a biker for over 40 years. I can't imagine my life without a motorcycle. Um, and to come this far and begin my archery um, in the UK just as you know a field archer, and most people would probably not expect anything more, but there is something there that I question and it's simply is that it no it isn't it's so far away from it and I'm saying Rashid you are nowhere near what being an archer is all about and um, I had to do something about it and, and then of course Jim came along and that was it and, you know, on the first time I went to his house and I looked at 
um, his books, his, his bows, um, and then we started to talk. Um, and the things he was saying were just uh, so new, all archery related and, and so new. And then, of course, it, it sort of, you know, the hunting came in and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, yeah, there is so much more that I could be doing with my bow and arrow instead of just going to a club on a Sunday and, and shooting at foam targets. <coughs> Excuse me. So between when you were a kid and, and your, your dad was taking naps in the cars and you were getting yeah. playing till till this period as you're talking about now with Jim, I mean, were you still thinking about and wanting to do the bow hunting thing or did that – did it really just no, get rekindled? No, it was just, uh, it was dormant, basically. Um, and it was just life. So life has a knack of throwing up all sorts of problems and hazards, and you have to find your way. It's, um, it's a strange one. I've always been a fairly, uh, a loner, I suppose, is the best way. Um, and I've had to find, you know, grow up and, and learn the hard way, I suppose. Um, I'm, I don't want to sort of, you know, hit the violin, but it's, uh, it's not been easy, but I've got there. Everything I've done is, uh, you know, taught myself, you know, joinery carpentry and uh, media photography um, and all these things I undertook myself. I've, I've never been afraid of learning. So even though I finished school and I had to go to work straight away, um, I wasn't lucky enough to go to university or anything like that. But I went back under my own steam. And, and um, yeah, I became a, a joiner and carpenter. And okay, I love working with wood. That's always been there my entire life. Um, Hands-on tools and, um, yeah, that's it. Um, the, first, the first bows um, that um, I made... I'm thinking, oh, my God, yeah, I've seen, look, there's a sander over there in Jim's workshop. I might need one of those. But no, it's just um, uh, uh, files, basically. And I'll, I'll use just hand tools, simple files um, and, and sandpaper. Um, and that's how I shaped the first bows. Very nice. Um, keep it simple. And, and, you know, there's something about the feel and the touch as you're producing something out of wood. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, um, I've, I've kind of been a loner. I've been happily married, um, for 24 years. Uh, but my wife says I'm a sort of, um, a married bachelor. Uh, but it, she probably means that I tend to want to do things, pursue things on my own. Right. And archery then kind of started like that, you know, just on my own. And, and but then, uh, the family joined in, my two sons joined in. Um, but they're busy with university at the moment, so. Um, but they've said they'll come back to it, which is good. But uh, yeah, it, it kind of remained dormant for a long time, and then uh, suddenly it was yeah, get to this, get to this reenactment, and um, and it, it just, I don't know, it just hit me. I thought, you know, whoa, just let's go, let's do it, let's get on with it, you know, before it's too late. Um, and then, yeah, I just find that, um, okay, this is what they do here in the UK, but I want more. There is more to this. It's not going to happen in this country. I'm going to have to go to another country. Um, and that's obviously the influence of, of Jim. He said, right, you want to do this. This is where it all happens. 
So is, is that where you found Compton? And, yes. And was there any like particular like anything that you'd read or that you'd seen online or that like that that really made you want to hunt? Like anything in particular, like a book or like we Steve and I talked like Bows of the Little Delta is one of the big ones for that me. is yes definitely. Um, um, obviously, um, being at Jim's place, he had or well yeah, he still has a lot of publications, a lot of books, um, TJs and um, he, you know, I mean, there are more than I can sort of mention, but he has a vast collection that he has made of um, traditional archery and, and bow hunting and bow making, arrow making. Um, and it, I'm, I'm in his workshop and looking at all these things and then we're discussing it in the evening and, and throughout the day. Um, and it, it's just like this huge sort of waterfall. It's like the lower falls in, in Yellowstone of information just pouring out of Jim and pouring into me. Hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to absorb it all. Um, and I only had a little sponge at the time, as it were. Okay, but the sponge is bigger now and I'm absorbing so much more and quickly too. Um, and that's it. And, and obviously the ultimate is coming to Compton. And then everything kind of falls into place. All the puzzles are, you know, is, is, is in one piece now. So we, you've hinted at it a little bit and we're kind of leading up to this. So you, you, can't, you can't hunt in your, your, your home nation. Um, no. So you're, you're coming back to the States next March. So yes. March 2020. That's right. Um, after a lot of discussion, guidance, advice, um, and, and, and being with the right people as well, and there are plenty of them here. Um, I'm going to Texas next March, and um, yeah, I'm going to go hunting hogs. It's going to be my first hunt. Um, I'll be with uh, an outfit, a reputable outfit, mm-hmm. um, and, and that'll be Chuck Jones. And um, uh, I can't. Yeah, I, I'm at home and I'm imagining actually being there. So I'm, I'm absorbing a lot of information <laughs> off, off uh, documentaries on the Smithsonian Channel um, about uh, Texas and, and um, learning about the wildlife, the insects, all sorts, you know, rattlers and, and scorpions and tarantulas and um, the foliage and, and, okay, cactus and, and the issues, the problems, right. thus the clothing. Then, of course, the climate, it can be hot. Uh, March is going to be like an English summer. It'll be a much different hot. Even if it's really hot there, it won't be the hot like you had here last year. Right. Because the humidity will be different. Right. Mm-hmm. But not. don't go during the summertime, obviously. Right. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, uh, that's fine. Um, I've spent um, a number of years living and working in a, a really hot country high humidity as well um so that that doesn't worry me um it's um night time's obviously cold you can get flash flash floods and things like that so so what's the what's the duration of your hunt it's going to be seven days days. um five days of actual hunting it's going to take a hogs and javelina or just hogs at the moment just hogs awesome so i mean if i can go for a javelina yeah it's, uh, I mean, ideally, it's, um, it's getting that first kill. 
Man, I, I, Otherwise, we're all going to go hungry. <laughs> I can't tell you how much I'd love to be there for that experience when, when it happens. But I do, I really would like for us to keep in touch, which we will. Absolutely. Now, but Absolutely. I would like for us to keep in touch because when you get back from that, I would really love for us to sit down and talk about that. Yeah, yeah. we got to do recaps. There's just I mean, nothing like it. Because yeah. it's, it's, I'm, I can tell you right now, between now and March, I'm going to be, I'm going to be living this with you. Because <laughs> it's just my nature. I'm going to, and I will, uh, uh, there's actually a very good book and I'll, get with with tom because i've got the book i know i can see it i can't recall the name and the, the author but it's it's all about the the feral hogs in in america right and it gives you a lot of the history it's, it's a really good book you'll enjoy reading it if you hadn't already but yeah. um so you uh you're 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 flying back over you go hunt for seven days yeah um what what bow are you going to be bringing to hunt with you okay so that? yeah um compton last year um i had a, a say a lot of um, good advice and I was directed to um, Jerry and Bob at Great Northern and um, I chose a bush bow okay oh um, it's been made and I've got it um, 48 at 30 64 inch bow and um, Cocobola riser um, bamboo core Osage overlays Clear glass. Beautiful. It's lovely, and it's it's lightweight, but it feels solid. Um, it's a lefty. Um, I can shoot right-handed, um, but um, I've been using it, and um, I mean it, it's lovely. It's it's just such a sweet bow to shoot, and you know they say there's a bow out there with your name on it, mm -hmm. and I think they made me that one. Oh, we He's love, got my we name love Jerry on it. And Bob. They're, They're great people, they, yeah. They've been good to us too. So. Yeah, and it, it's unnerving. You think, you know, okay, I'm probably, I'm not the first guy that's had a custom bow made, but um, it's it's uh, it's a little unnerving when you're that far away. But okay, modern communications and, and, and things like that. But. So just out of curiosity, I didn't think to ask you this: How long have you had the bow? It's been a year. Oh, it's been a year. Okay, it's been a year. So it wasn't it's not one of my strings on it then? I thought if it'd been within the last. I make my own strings. So, well, I'm talking about the one that came with it. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, yeah. The string's still good, um, and I've got to thank um, Joe uh, Stark and uh, Chad Weaver um, for teaching me to make strings um, and how to look after your strings. You know things people would miss which is to get your string off the bow and wax the loops yeah uh, you know things like that but um yeah I'm, i like to i enjoy making my own strings um, most of the equipment that i use whether it's like you know a cresting jig um or um you know my string jig i've made myself very cool so yeah. uh you know i enjoy that you know i've, I've got a a pretty good engineering side to me um, and uh, I have a, a workshop. There's a workshop available uh, where I am and um, at work. And uh, yeah, there's lathes and, and mills. And, yeah, Chad's another uh, one of those great guys who just go out of his way to try to. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and try and get some D97 in the UK, um, and they'll be um, cringing in the corner, um, a, a spool of pink D97. And you look at it and you think, I want D97 so bad, but I'm not going that far. <laughs> Hell no. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one of these guys that wears a pink shirt or something. It, 
it's, it's yeah okay it's i'm old school i said that <laughs> but i'm not going to buy a pink bowstring for crying out loud no um, don't tell my wife no but so I, I rang chad and and well emailed chad and um he was he was great and um you know i picked the stuff up yesterday i could take it back with me so yeah i can make my my strings and i and i know the answer to this but i'm gonna ask you anyway just so everybody else knows what about what's your what's your choice for arrows Oh, okay. So hunting, uh, quality shafts. Um, and I said this to Carson Brown the other day. I said, I'd be sitting in my, my home in, uh, looking on the internet and I'd be thinking, Wapiti, Sherwood, Wapiti, Sherwood. <laughs> um, and then Craig Schoenenberg said, Andy Ponce. And I rang Andy. Um, and he's based in, you know, addictive archery, and, and he's based in Oregon, as you know. Uh, he gets all his shafts from Carson Brown Sherwood shafts. So, uh, even bought the hat, got the t-shirt. Um, I bought the t-shirt because I didn't bring a coat, and it's long sleeves. But don't tell Carson that. <laughs> um, and yeah, so yeah, if you want quality, do that. So, you know, that's exactly what I did. So I've, I've purchased two dozen. Andy gets them from, from Carson and he's, he's tapered them and, you know, weight matched them to within 10 grains. And uh, they're cedar. Uh, and cedar I, or Douglas fir? No, they're cedar. Really? Yeah. Um, I did buy another set for another bow um, yesterday from Carson um, and they're Douglas fir. But that's for a 65-pound bow. I haven't bought any cedars from Carson. I have shot Sherwoods off and on for, in fact, he had a dozen I was going to buy from him. I'm, I'm a little bit irritated with him. He sold them out from under me. They were, they were 8085s, which work really well. Okay, I didn't buy them. <laughs> uh, and he do, they don't show up often that, that heavy. He's got some 90, yeah. 95s, but I don't think, I could probably load enough weight up to make to the front to make them work, but I'm still debating it. But Yeah, well, there's all this question now of, Having made all my arrows myself right from the word go, now I'm having to deal with other issues with making arrows to go hunting with. So it's, you know, the old FOC argument and people prefer a bit more weight at the front and the type of broadhead to use. Um, so being sort of old school, traditional, um, I've gone with um, uh, the ace broadheads. A standards, so I'm going to have 145 up front. The shafts are tapered, uh, the standard nine inches at the back end, from the back end, down to five sixteenths. Um, uh, did yeah. You, did uh, you get those direct from from Bob Mayo, or did you? I did? I rang I rang uh, Bob, uh, and um, uh, Jan sent me a friend, friend's request to make it a bit easier to, to communicate. But I said, look, I'm coming all this way, and, and I just need to be sure I'm getting the right stuff. Um, he said, yeah. What do you need? And um, right, we'll have it there. And he's he's had it. There. He, he, you know, he kept them to one side. And uh, yeah, that's just great. You know, I heard you, a little rumor that you set those down somewhere. I did. Play. Did you find them? Uh, I did find them. Yeah, and I had I had them all the time. Ah, good to know. <laughs> so the way things have worked is the way I work is I get here and I'll I'll be systematic about things. So get intent, sort out broadheads. So I do that. Now I've got the broadheads. And of course, who's directly behind me is is uh, Barry Wentz or Mike Mitten. 
and you can't avoid them. So I've got to go over there and, and I purchased um, the, the DVDs, their new DVDs. And uh, well, I've got the new DVDs from Mike Mitten, um, but it's uh, the uh, Primal Dreams that I didn't have. Great video. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's an essential. Um, and I got the second one, uh, but I didn't have the first one. So I made sure I got that too. So there are like a multitude of distractions. Um, and then uh, Monty Browning and, um, you know, had a chat with him and got his book and, and you know, very excited. So suddenly it just became a bit chaotic and I'm trying to keep hold of things here and, and get things done. Uh, but everything went back to the car. Um, and I, I looked this morning and I thought, oh, where are they? But they're actually underneath Monty Browning. Um, so they're in the bag and they're, they're just underneath his book that I bought. And um, I just thought, but by then I'd gone back and... and You're going to have to go to a, a Kiko's or an Office Max or something to ship this stuff. Are you, are you going to try to carry it on the plane? Uh, yes. Really? Yeah. Well, what I've done, I, I've got a coffin tent and I thought, okay, you know, if, if, if I'm going to make this trip, I need some money. So instead of paying sort of 700 bucks like we did last year on a, a hotel. Right. But then I had to do that because Jim was 83, bless him. And, um, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect him to camp. So, you know, but I thought, okay, that's 700 bucks that I don't need to spend. Um, I'd much rather bring it here and, and, and spend it here on sure. the things that I need. Sure. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, so I've got this tent. And to be honest, I haven't, had, I haven't even looked at it, but it's there. And it takes up half the suitcase. Uh, and I've only got 23 kg and, and some, uh, you know, you carry on onto the plane luggage but uh so that's staying here in the U in, in the u.s um somebody's gonna look after that for me and that gives me a whole lot of weight and some room so i've got my feather burner and broadheads and three sets of shafts um and all sorts of bits and pieces yeah so i'll be okay so last question I have around the, the hunt you've got coming up. Um, so are you, are you doing that solo or do you have somebody that's going to be per? They're, they're, I believe there'll be I mean, a group of five, five hunters. But do you, do you know them before you get there or is it? Um, I don't, I don't. I've awesome. spoken to one or two people that um, have been interested and okay. they say, yeah, okay, Chuck, I've heard Chuck puts on a good shoot. Um, I may be looking at that next year. So, um, you know, we'll have to wait and see, uh, you know, what, what's on their program or their schedule. Can they make it? You know, can't they? But they have it in mind. Um, and they are people that I do know. Some people I do know, two of them. Um, and I mean, to see them down there would be great, you know, because you see them here and, and you know them and, and you buy their products. In one case, you buy their stuff. And that'd be great. It'd be great if they can make it. Yeah, you get the camp experience, too, which is... This is true. Really cool, all in one shot, really. Exactly, yeah. And it's for me, it's a strange sort of juxtaposition, but, I mean, okay, I love that campfire thing. Um, it, it, it's great, and you can just download to everybody there and, and just discuss how your day's gone and, and what you're expecting for tomorrow and this and that, what right, happened, right. you know. Uh, but then, you know, within a split second, you're a loner again as you go out, you know, and walk and stalk. So... Yeah, that's, that's, I can handle that. That's not a problem. I um, just can't wait to do it. I can't so, wait. I can't wait for you to do there's it. One, <laughs> there's one thing I will say is, um, and I think this is, this is true of a lot of bow hunters um, that I find, 
um, with my little experience, but it's it's the classic situation that if something goes wrong, you don't get left behind. Yes. And for me, that's a natural. You know, if something can go wrong and does go wrong, I'm there, um, and and I would do that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I wouldn't think twice about it. So yeah, that's that's an important part of of being with your fellow brothers, as it were, out on a hunt. Um, that if something does go pear shaped, you've got someone you can rely on. Sure, sure. And that's important. That's all part of it. So yeah. You bring you write it all. You bring in a field journal with you or anything like that, so you can record the details or. Oh wow! Um, I used to go nuts. I, I bought a couple of sort of first generation um, GoPros. Um, they were like 150 pounds each back then. Mm. Nobody really knew much about them, right. but I, I saw them and I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to try these. These are great, you know. Um, and you think like, uh, okay, they've exploded now, this sort of thing where you want to record everything and make a video of your hunt right. and this sort right. of thing. But um, I, yeah, I, I could write a journal. I could see myself at the end of the day taking a few notes on how the day's gone, the experience. Um, you know, right from the word go, I suppose, you you fly to San Antonio and then you're picked up um, from the airport, which is great. You know, you just get on with it. And, and it'll be completely new for me. And San Antonio is an amazing place to go. You know, the Alamo. And right. I'm sure there are many other places I could spend a couple of days extra afterwards and, and go and see, uh, particularly the Alamo. Um, I know that the history down there is, is awesome. Uh, back in the day, Mexico and this and that. And... I can't remember the president, but they ended up paying some money and bought the land and, and you know, um, it all came part of the United States and things like that. But um, uh, I like uh, visiting uncommercial places. I'm, I'm not a beach holiday person, you know, an all-inclusive thingy. Right, right. That doesn't appeal to me at all. It never has. Um, and, and I like to sort of get off the beaten track. And, or if it's an interesting enough city or town, then, you know, find out the history and do that so yeah I'd enjoy that but yeah I can see myself sitting there at the end of the day and, and writing words and memories down and events feelings all this sort of thing yeah and, like and, and as for vit making videos I, I, to be honest as exciting as the moment might be when you go for your first kill I'm not going to have a GoPro strapped to my bow um, it's just going to be me my bow and the, and, and there's a lot and the be, hog there's a lot to be said I've done both yeah. but there's a lot to be said for especially especially for your first it should just be you I that's agree. my experience I yeah that's not yeah. necessarily something I need to share with everybody right. I'm there for me basically and, and my experience with that animal right. and like I said earlier I would give anything to be there for that moment but at the same time I wouldn't want to rob you of that because I, I do think it's, I think you may, it may surprise you some of the emotions that, yeah, that come with that. I, yeah, I, yeah. We're, we're excited for you. It's, uh, it's really something. Everybody remembers that very first time. It's, it's going to be the culmination of a lot of help and advice and hard work. Uh, but I'm going to do it. That's I'm determined. So here's something. And I'll in Jim's you. memory, of course. Sure, sure. And here's something I'll tell you. We interviewed Monty Browning and and. Um, uh, Brian Burkhardt earlier. Okay. You heard about that. Yeah. 
And one of the questions that we had people submit questions, and one of the questions was, what was your most memorable hunt? And you'll be, you'll be fascinated to know that of everything that Monty Browning has done, and anybody knows Monty Browning knows he's taken a lot of critters and some very impressive critters, his was his very first buttonhead whitetail buck. Oh, right. That the first. Was, that was it. So, yeah, we, I honestly, like Nick said, we, we definitely want to get you back as soon as you're, you're back from your trip and settled back in. We'll yeah. figure out a way to get this recorded because I want to hear all about it. <laughs> all about it. Yeah, it's it's um, it's going to be amazing. At the end of the day, I might not get anything, but even then, yes, you will. I'm still going to enjoy myself, and 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 yes, you'll get the experiences. If you don't get anything else, you will get the experiences, yeah. and I'm sure I will. I'm you know um, I'm just so excited, um, and it's nice to know that you know I was able to have a chat with TJ this morning, and and he said keep me posted. Let me know how it goes. And you think, wow, yeah, that's amazing. Well, and it's hard to do sometimes. But here's the, the one piece of advice I'll give you. Forget all the gear. Forget all the, the one piece of advice I'll give you is every morning when you leave to go out on that hunt, I'm going to get something today. Whether, whether it happens or not, that, to me, that's the, biggest, that's the biggest component of making the most of when, when the opportunity arises yeah. is – I'm, today's the day. Yeah, it's, it's, it's knowing that moment when to draw that arrow back yep. and then release. Yeah, yeah. But they, I mean, hogs are—they're not stupid. They're—they're they're no, cun- they're they're cunning beasts. Um, yeah, they're not without their uh, intelligence. But they uh, haven't met you yet. <laughs> so yeah, I'm up for a battle of wits. <laughs> there um, you, go, Roger. you know, it's uh, something special. Yeah, definitely. But, uh, well, yeah. well, Rashid, we really really appreciate you taking this time to sit down as again as soon as i found out you were here thursday and i don't even remember who told me now i said i'm a, i'm finding him we're gonna sit down with him and have him on the podcast well, it, so it's it's so an much. honor to be asked to be here and and um yeah share this um i didn't expect it at all, the but, honor's all um, ours, brother. thank you very much thank, thank you, you.